0: If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, You continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hi there. Good morning. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Why don't you introduce yourself and your T1D kid?
1: Yeah. Thanks, Taren. Um, So my name is Stella, and my son, Nico, is my youngest of four, and he is seven years old right now. He'll be eight in July, and he was diagnosed at eight months old.
0: Very so. young. Very young. what, What can we be talking about today? What's coming up for you?
1: Two things that I really want to start working on as a T1D parent really is how it's kind of like twofold. One would be how do you work through the anxiousness and the feelings? Sometimes we can get overwhelmed or frustrated or scared when something new is presented in our T1D management. And then another big one for Nico that's coming up is T1D camp. Mm -hmm. So pre-COVID, he was too young. And then during COVID, it was virtual. So we did that for two years virtually. And now this year will be the first year they do it in person. So I really want him to go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then there's that fear because he is homeschooled. I manage him. My husband does. And even though we have two older kids that do help his management, no one really outside of our household does that. And so as much as I want to release that control, There's this fear of, right, of like one releasing, two is what if something happens and I'm 45 minutes away, right? (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. trusting because it's not like I'm just taking him to a camp. Mm -hmm. It's a T1D camp. So I know forefront that there's going to be educators, counselors, nurses. They have junior counselors who are T1D themselves. Mm -hmm. So he's in a safe environment, but then I'm not able to let go of that. So
0: what a good question. And I want to name, that your, your first question was, how do I work through my anxiety when something is new? And my, and you said, and my second question is, what about going to camp? And I'm like, actually, that's about working through your anxiety about something new. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I just recently had someone in one of my courses who was working on this exact issue. Right. Cause this is a very real issue for type one parents mm-hmm. about the letting go, yeah. especially in your situation, because you're not, you, the muscle of letting go is not particularly Strong because you're you have him home all the time, like he's in the family system all the time, so you're right. not sending him out to school, so you're sort of starting from scratch here. Does that make yeah. sense? Does that feel absolutely true? yeah, and that's that's how I'm feeling yeah. the first thing I want to name is I think all of us have anxiety at each stage as we let go of our children, even our non t one d children, right There's always that little tinge of oh newness fear, <laughs> you know anxiety so. That's, that's yeah. normal. And with diabetes, I think we have to work through it a little more consciously and systematically because there are safety issues involved. What I recommend, Stella, for this particular issue about camp is what would be the baby steps that you could create? Like if we think about him going to camp as jumping across a little stream, it's just wide enough so you can't step over it. You actually have to leap. What would be, if there were stones in the stream that you could walk across, what would they be, right? So I think about it, like that's the metaphor I hold in my mind when I think about how do we create these baby steps to help lower our anxiety and keep us feeling like we're in our kind of window of tolerance and we feel regulated. Because what you're naming is, you're saying to yourself, I know he'll be safe there. There's all kinds of diabetes support and it's far away. And it's outside the family and there are new parts of it that even though I can reassure myself about the T1D management piece, I'm still kind of nervous. So I have some thoughts, but I wonder if you have any thoughts of what could be the stepping stones that you could build across this little stream so that you feel a little safer and a little bit more kind of in your seat about sending him to camp.
1: Um, for me, I kind of look at whenever issues arise with management with type one, I always try to backtrack like other challenges I've had in life. And for me is I'm a very like, informational human, like I need information. And then I need to like physically lay it out in front of me, and then start using that to kind of either move forward or make me feel comfortable or what have you. So for me, I think the first thing that popped to my mind when you when you start talking was like, who's going to be there? right? Is there any way I can have a one-on-one or a quick phone call or get information of who's there? And what kind of background do they have? How long have they had type one? What kind of management do they either work on a daily basis or deal with daily? So I think that would be like a big factor for me. Because again, I'm releasing that, right? And releasing that control of my child in general is hard. Like we sent our daughter off to college two years ago. But you know, like you said, there's no medical aspect in that. It Mm -hmm. was releasing and trusting that you've given your 18 year old Mm -hmm. (laughs) enough skills to survive the first semester. So the same thing with my Nico,
0: but it's beyond that, right? So I like this first step. Um, I don't know how the camp will respond because different camps are different. But I like this idea of you making some connection with the camp to see, like, is there someone I could talk to? Now, the likelihood that they know who his exact counselor is going to be at this point, because you're a few months off, is very low. So maybe what you're doing is having a conversation with the camp director to Mm -hmm. ask some of these questions. What's the philosophy of camp? How do you manage whatever situation you're particularly nervous about with Nico? Right. I think that's a good stepping stone across that stream. So I have a thought for another one. And actually what you said made me like shift it slightly in my mind. But my my initial thought is, I think it would be good for you to have someone else take care of him, someone outside the family as a controlled experiment before you send him to camp, because it gives you some practice with the muscle of Mm -hmm. having him have someone else be his caregiver other than people in the family. What would be even better (laughs) is if that someone else could be one of the junior counselors from camp. Uh, So that's what came to mind as you talked about contacting camp, right, to contact them and say, are there any local kids, because this happens often at camp, that the local counselors are happy to do babysitting, right? They have type one themselves. They're happy to babysit because they like the extra cash. And it will help him know somebody there from camp. And it will help you say, oh, he's safe if I leave him with someone other than a family member. So what do you think of that idea?
1: First, um, I'm just going to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I started feeling a little bit of heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I <look> at, oh, <laughs> we're not doing that. <laughs> but I know it needs to happen, right? I can't have him um, under my wings. I call it for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, even though that caused me a little bit of heat in my stomach and my chest, mm-hmm. um, if I'm going to be honest, I think that's a great idea. And even better if it's someone that will be at camp. Like, yeah. Connected for me and Absolutely. even for him. And really, truly, like with, like I said, he's my youngest of four. With the other three, you want to be able to like release little by little, right? Mm-hmm. Like almost the first time you leave your 12 or 13 year old at home, mm-hmm. you go to Target for 30 minutes and come back. The mm-hmm. house is standing. It's great. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let no one get hurt. <laughs> yep, You know, it's, it's those baby steps. And I think that would be a great baby step for him because I do want him to have that flexibility and freedom as well.
0: I love everything you're saying, Stella. It's so nice that you're an experienced parent, right? That you know that feeling of heat probably. And I want to address that in a second. But that feeling of heat, even when you yeah. go leave your 12-year-old, especially your oldest, right? When you've left your oldest yeah. child home alone for the first time, there's so much anxiety, right? Like, oh, yeah. is this safe? Is this a good decision? Are they sensible enough? Are they going to burn the house down? Right. Okay. And you come home and you're like, wow, it worked. And so you're yeah. taking baby steps and giving them the opportunity to do that. And you because you're such an experienced parent, you know that it works, that this is the right path forward. And so I love that you're taking all your experience and that you're um, applying it to this very important goal that you have, that you want Nico to have freedom and flexibility. Like that's yeah. beautiful. And that's exactly correct. Like we have to always have our eye on what the end point is. Yeah. So I want to understand though, I want to back up. When you get that heat, first of all, I love that you understand it in your body, because our body actually knows first what the emotional state is of our mind. Yes. So when you get that heat in your body, Stella, what do you do to help yourself with that?
1: I've learned through having anxiety and just a little backtracking. I didn't have anxiety until after his diagnosis. It was six Mm -hmm. months after. Mm -hmm. I ended up having a panic attack, got sent to the hospital. And so then I started... Recognizing what that was. And I did Mm -hmm. go through therapy for about six to nine months to help me with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I recognize it because if I don't recognize it, then it can take over in seconds. And so I recognize it and I try to locate where my body, I feel it. Um, so then again, that's me controlling, right? Or at least I think I'm controlling. Um, so now I recognize it's in my stomach and it's in my chest. And then I go from where it's in my body to what triggered, right? I need to find the trigger. Mm-hmm. And once I realized what the trigger is, I ask myself, it's not the end of the world. Is it gonna harm me right away, right? And so I try to like take a hold and then recognizing it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10, that's probably not. I talk myself down. So like just breathe, um, baby steps. Mm-hmm. Don't let it attack me right away. Just put a hold on the feeling, breathe through it. And then we're also a Christian family. And so I always ask, like, Okay, God, you have this. You have it. Help me calm down so then I can walk through what I need to walk through. That's beautiful. That's really what I've learned. It's it's really saved me because I've let it take over me and it can happen so fast. I'm just thankful that I recognize what it is because I can't imagine not knowing what's happening. Like if you've ever had a panic attack, you know what it feels like. And if you don't know what it is, it's very scary. Like you think you're like you're it takes over
0: everything. So yeah. Yeah, panic attacks, uh, make you feel like you're dying, actually, generally, especially. Yeah, first it time. really is. Yeah. And yeah. actually, interestingly, Stella, I feel like I've been talking to a number of moms, in particular parents lately of mm-hmm. T1D kids who have had panic attacks in their first X number of months, uh, after diagnosis. I had some after my son was diagnosed, mm-hmm. right? So I do yeah. know what you're talking about. I think that what you're doing to manage it is really beautiful. I'm glad you got some help. right? Mm -hmm. That feels really important. And I love how you're able to notice what happens in your body and use it as a cue to set in motion this whole series of tools that you have to recognize that what you're feeling needs to be, that you need to actually not take it that seriously because it's actually not a feeling, it's a thought. The thought is disaster is coming, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to not take that thought so seriously that it's not generally accurate, and that you Mm -hmm. have to breathe to quiet yourself and recognize that it's going to be better than you think, likely, and then give some of, you know, in your case, you're using your faith to Mm -hmm. sort of partner, I would say, with with God, right, to help that. So I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I'm glad you have those tools in place so that you can take that thought of there's a disaster and set Mm -hmm. it aside. I think that's really powerful. Um, Something else that's coming up for me, though, as you're talking is I wonder if you want to take baby steps, even with the idea of a babysitter, right? So mm-hmm. have the babysitter come for an hour, but you're in the house. Have the babysitter come for a while and you just go to Target for a half an hour, mm-hmm. right? So do baby steps so that you can know that the house isn't burning down, right? The same way right. you do when you left your older kids for the first right. time. How does that seem? Yeah,
1: I mean, I never thought about it, and I'm glad I'm thankful that you're bringing it up. It's mm-hmm. it seems like because I'm still there, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So My
1: first thought was, oh, that should work. I feel comfortable. It's I'm still there, so I can still look at the numbers. But then maybe you know, it, it kind of brings me back at diagnosis. I used to walk around with the Dexcom in my hand everywhere <laughs> I went, uh-huh. and because it times out, I kept pushing the button, thinking that in one second he would die. You know, right. because yeah. that's my that was my fear, and now I. I have it up on a screen, but I don't look at it as often. So my hope is that the idea of having a babysitter in the house, like you said, for an hour, I don't have to look at the screen because really she's there to watch him. And hopefully it's a T1 teenager. Mm -hmm. So she understands that she needs to be watching that too. Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking possibly the second time I can actually leave. Mm -hmm. Like you said, target is 10 minutes down the street. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Go get me coffee, get something I need, come back. So, and I still have sugar made on my phone. So if I have that anxiety, I know I can, what do you think? Do you think
0: it's something that I should be looking at while I'm away? Well, that's a very good question. And it's something that I often am working with parents to look less, right? Mm-hmm. But you have a different situation, which is that your first baby step is to just step away. Later, you're going to look less, right? And in yeah. camp, my guess is they won't. At least at our local camp, there is no Wi-Fi, right? So I can't see numbers at all. So you might find that out, right? Because that is going to be important for you. If you can't see numbers, first of all, I think that it will give you a well-deserved vacation, Um, (laughs) and it might be something you need to work towards feeling okay about with whoever your babysitter is, right? So stepping away for an hour, keeping sugar meat off. Stepping away for two hours, keeping sugar meat off, so that you can kind of build the muscle a little bit. And I love what you're saying about like, when you think about having a type one babysitter in the house for an hour, and that you're home, that you actually feel safe and comfortable, you don't get that flush of heat, because it's going to help. So that there's not you know, so that every step you take might not have so much heat attached to it. And that makes it easier to do those steps. So that's why I think it's I'm a big believer in baby steps. So you're Your initial question, Stella, of like, how do I work through anxiety when there's something new? I Mm -hmm. always think about taking the next smallest bite, the next smallest step, so that you feel successful, right? And you feel like it's possible to do with an eye on where you're headed, right? So that would be even smaller rocks across the stream in your case, right? right? And that's great. That's perfect. It feels good.
1: I need help to... Be comfortable with not seeing the numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and yeah, yes, baby steps. But how mm-hmm. do I even start that? Because even when I leave I'm home with one of my older two, I'm in the middle of grocery shopping, or that's usually when I go out and get to, my errands done, I will pop up sugar Mate and look here and there. I don't have it constantly on me, like visually, but I will pop it up if I'm waiting in line, for example. We all know ourselves, right? So I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have no visual and I'm going to feel like where's he at Mm -hmm. you know how many hours post lunch for example Mm -hmm. what if he's dropping what if the person doesn't know what you know I mean he can't catch it or what if he's too high do they know you know like all these little things Mm -hmm. as tight of a management we have on him and his a1c looks great I mean as a type one myself I know things just can happen and so then what If I don't have a visual and I can't text that person saying, Hey, I see his numbers here.
0: Can you do this real quick? We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. One of the hardest things about diabetes is the food. Your kid has to eat, but there's so many foods that send them high or are tricky to dose for. And at the same time, you don't want to restrict their food choices. You want them to be able to feel like every other kid. To help you navigate the many challenges of food and eating with type one, I've created the Sweet Talk Snack Course, a free mini course that gives you six bite-sized lessons to support your T1D kid in having a healthy relationship with food and eating. Sign up for it at DiabetesSweetTalk.com. So I have a few thoughts about that. One of your baby steps is going to be when you're leaving him home with your family to not look, right? Okay. To practice not looking when he's with people who you trust. Okay. Right? Because that's important. If you trust them, mm-hmm. they, they're going to get it. And another important thing, I think it could be very helpful for you to reach out and find parents who've already sent their children to camp.
1: Yeah. So whatever,
0: whatever camp you're sending him to, where are you mm-hmm.
1: located? We're in Stafford. So it will be the Fredericksburg.
0: It's through Mary Washington. Stafford. So kids work here. Mm-hmm. Is, is that Stafford, Virginia? Okay. So I don't know that camp. I don't know their philosophy. I don't know how they work. But I really believe that most of these, all of these camps, like that's what they know how to do is keep type one kids safe. Mm-hmm. But I would be calling the director or whoever it is who they put you in touch with and find out if are names of other parents People who are willing to talk to you about their experience sending their kid to camp. The other thing is a little bit of a philosophy shift. So one of the things that happens when we have our kids at home and we know them so well is that we can have very tight control. So if we see them going down or we see them going up, we can make adjustments really quickly. As they step away, we have to trust that, that they're going to get to further in out of range. They are, and that they're going to be able to course correct that still. The house is not burning down if your kid hits 300. It's not pleasant. We don't like it. We don't want him to stay there, right? But nothing bad has actually happened in that moment. It's just that he's 300 and we have to add insulin and course correct. The house is also not burning down if he gets to 60, right? It's not. The alarms go off. Someone's going to respond, right? And nothing disastrous is going to happen, right? The thing is that you know, when you look at your readout, oh, he's 95, one arrow straight down and he just played soccer or whatever it is. And so, or he's at the pool swimming. So somebody give him some juice, right? They're not, they might not catch it as fast as you would because you're looking so constantly, but it still doesn't mean that it's a disaster or an emergency. It just means he's a little more out of range for a little longer than he would be in your care. And that is some of the reality of him stepping out into the world. And certainly Stella is going to be the reality when he's more in control of himself and taking care of himself. Because teenage kids, you just made a face like, ugh, right? (laughs) Teenage kids don't want to look at their readouts all the time, right? right? They're doing diabetes to live their lives, right? Whereas we do diabetes to get it just right, to get diabetes right. But truly, that's not an incredibly sustainable thing. Like what we want for our children is for them to be able to live their lives and diabetes sort of ride sidecar. Yeah. We don't want diabetes to be the central mission of their lives. That would be terrible for them. Some of this is about to- you tolerating that, yeah, he's going to come back and he's going to have been mm-hmm. more out of range. I-, I-, I will almost guarantee that. I just don't see that at camp, right, that he's going to be more range. The question is, is it worth the trade? Is it worth his sense of independence? Is this worth his sense of joy at being with other children? Is it worth his sense of freedom? Is that trade worth it to you? And if it's not, then don't send him. But if it is, then you absolutely have to do the same thing you do with the heat, which is create a mantra, like partner in your faith, find a way to get to some kind of peace with the idea that it doesn't have to be perfect control, right? Mm -hmm. That you're giving him something different and that he's with people who will keep him safe. And safe is different than perfect. How is that? I think that's pretty uncomfortable is the feeling I have. That's
1: it's it's uncomfortable, but it's reality. And it's logic. It's logical to me. And that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's the thing for me. It's just my end goal is to get him out of our house when he wants to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't throw our kids out of the house at 18. But when he's ready, if mm-hmm. he wants to go to college, go. When he's ready to move out and do his life, go. And I want to be able to give him the school the skills Mm -hmm. and the tools and the self-confidence and his own management. And it's not going to happen with me putting him in a bubble. And that I realized it's just taking those baby steps. Like you said, of just, just tiny little steps. I like tiny steps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's how I function, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? So if it's just a little pebble that I'm going to release next time, I'll
0: release a rock, for example. (laughs) Yeah. Or (laughs) just the next pebble, right? Like no boulders here. That's true. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, You know, cause I know that when you sent your 18 year old off to college, you had enough anxiety, right? But you had, oh gosh, her. Yeah. she knew how to do the laundry. You just t- trusted that she was sens- made make good decisions for herself. She was sensible. Right. You know, she's going to make mistakes too. Right. right. Yeah. And so the and question th- is what level of mistake with diabetes is going to come? I mean, it is going to come.
1: Yeah. You just, I think you just nailed it for me understanding like with my, Oldest mistakes will happen. Silly decisions will be made. Lessons will be learned. And so how much am I going to be able to be okay with mistakes that either others will make in his care or that he will make in his care? And Mm -hmm. I think that's nailing the hard part for me. Sure. Is allowing you, someone outside of me (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and my husband, of course, Mm -hmm. but to make a mistake on a child, on one of my children. And maybe it's more personal because it's a medical thing that before diagnosis, I didn't even know type one existed. I knew what type two was, but I never looked into it because it didn't affect our lives. So, no, it's this, just so natural.
0: this totally makes sense. And I, I love the way you're phrasing it. Like it's one thing for your kids to make their own mistakes. It's a different thing when you put your child in someone's care and they make, quote, mistakes. One of the things that I have come to myself My kids are a little older now, so that this is not so much of an issue anymore. But when I Mm -hmm. put them in someone's care, when they were in elementary school and middle school, for example, I would say, anything you do is correctable. There were mistakes that happened. Absolutely. There were moments where the caregiver at school and I would miss each other on text. So she would make a decision that I wouldn't have made because I wasn't sitting by my phone totally attached to it. Right. And I was like, okay, well, course correct. Correct. So part of diabetes is about being flexible because all of those things happen and they're going to happen. Your kid is going to do them too, right? They're going to not dose or they're going to overdose or like I'm thinking about the time my son was still on shots where we gave him two shots of his long acting insulin instead of short acting oh. and long acting. Right. So he yeah. ate a lot of Halloween candy that day. <laughs> it was great for him, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> we make mistakes for sure. But we know we're learning from them and we feel more comfortable that we're attentive. Other people are going to make mistakes. I suspect at camp, they're going to be fewer mistakes than, for example, if your child was sent off to school for caregivers who didn't know him and diabetes as well. But even they are going to keep him more out of range, as my guess, than you do. I mean, I can't know that for sure. I don't know what the ratios are at this camp. I don't know those things, so I don't mean to malign them in any way. But mm-hmm. my experience is that kids come home from camp and their numbers are wider swings, you know, bigger ranges. They feed them food. I wouldn't feed them all right. of these things, but they come back like joyous and dirty and having had a wonderful experience and mm-hmm. swinging from. 250 to 60 isn't going to kill them right as long as they are correcting on either end it's all good I mean everything makes sense and everything's
1: applicable I think and I think after I, I get off
0: I'm just write everything
1: down <laughs> so I can actually you know start the process because that's that is my end goal it's huge for me to send him to camp
0: yeah of course it's it
1: gonna is. be huge and yeah. I want that for him. Yep. Uh, um, and also because he's going to be around others yes. to have a Dexcom because he's still MDI. So at least he'll see other Dexcoms. Mm-hmm. You know, of recent, he's like, you know, I'm not wearing short sleeves this summer. And I'm like, dude, we're in Virginia. It's going to be like 90 degrees and humid. How are you not going to wear short sleeves? He's like, because I like long sleeves. And then I sat back and I'm going, does he really, though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the kid walks, walks around half naked all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I said, really, seriously, Nico, what, why are you not going to wear short sleeves? And he said, because I don't want anyone seeing my Dexcom. Mm-hmm. And that hit. Mm-hmm. He's never expressed that. But again, he's almost eight, right? Mm-hmm. This is the time they start expressing themselves. And I said, well, why not? And he said, because that makes me different. And I don't want to be different. Mm-hmm. And so that I had to step away for a moment because that put me in a mindset that, dang, he is different. Mm-hmm. But then we're all different. And so I had to get back to him in conversation and say, yes, you are different. And this is what makes you different, but it makes you special as well. There are other kids that have ADHD and I explained to him what that was. They're different, but it makes them special. And sometimes the differences we see them, like people see you and I wear Dexcom, but maybe there are differences in someone else that you don't see. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with anyone. Mm-hmm. you know. So I think that's, I think I just went off tangent, but I, I think like it's, for me, it's all mental, mm-hmm. you know, just the baby steps mm-hmm. of making this happen for him. No, what so, you're talking with about. Being, you know, yeah. That's what I was. <laughs> Sorry. When you hit your 40s, it's like, <laughs> when, when when you, you know, with him being around other kids or even older kids or adults, you'll see Dexcoms and pumps and carb counting and the verbiage. I think that's his world. I don't want that to be his only world. Yeah. But I know that's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but... That's part of his world. That's his world, right? That's who he can associate with.
0: I think that it's good to put our T1D kids in environments where there are a lot of other T1D people. They might not choose that as adults, but they can't know if they're going to choose it or not unless we put them there, Mm -hmm. right? And something you're saying that is very important is you normalize it by putting him there. By exposing him to that, you just totally normalize it. And kids Mm -hmm. often come back from camp having a different relationship to diabetes. It might not be everything is different, right? That he's now walking proud wearing his Dexcom. But there's often more comfort. And often I see kids take pretty big steps forward in their care Mm -hmm. or in their desire for tech or in their relationship in lots of different ways once they've gone to camp and been in an environment like that. So I think you're being, what you're talking about, Stella, is that the emotional side of what this disease brings to you and your family is what you're being particularly attentive to. That's important, right? Because he has to live with this for his life. Sounds like you have type one, too. you you're living with it, you know what that is. And there's, you know, the burden of management, there's the grind of that, there's the not funness of that. And it's the emotional piece, though, that's the really hard stuff that can get in the way. So I think paying attention to that is essential. Yeah. Thank you, Stella. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, it was great for you to come on the show. Thanks. Thank you. And make sure to email me and let me know how things go. Absolutely. I will. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type one, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.